We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my beautiful friends and lovely listeners. I'm so happy to be spending some time with you here today on Journey to Center and Empower Radio. Our intention with the show, my intention with Journey to Center, is to provide thought-provoking conversation and compelling gifts that inspire you, uplift you, support you, empower you, and help you heal. Be in touch with me if you have somebody you'd like me to feature, or if you have any questions at TammyBPhD.com and download my free book, Path to Prosperity, as well. Again, this is about relationship and empowering each other to live a life of grace, ease, beauty, and prosperity. So I have to admit, my life has been full of drama and trauma. And unfortunately, I guess this is the case for almost everyone or everyone on planet earth. And we each of us have to find our own way through it. We have to journey through it to get to the other side. My guest today went through a horrifying life experience where he says he was faced with pure evil. And it was through his relationship with nature that he found his way back to his heart, his soul, accessed profound wisdom and tapped into deep healing. Stephen Alter was raised by American missionary parents in the foothills of the Himalayas, where he and his wife, Amita, lived. One day, their idyllic existence was brutally interrupted when four armed intruders invaded their home and viciously attacked them and left them for dead. The violent assault and the trauma of them almost dying left him questioning beliefs that he had lived by since childhood. In his new book, Becoming a Mountain, Himalayan Journeys in Search of the Sacred and the sublime, Stephen documents a series of treks he took in the high Himalayas following his convalescence. It was his way to rediscover the mountains of his inner landscape and weaving together observations of the natural world, Himalayan history, folklore, and mythology. He now gives us an inspiring meditation on the solace of high places, the hidden meanings, and the endearing mystery of the mountains. Stephen Alter, thank you so much for being here today on Empower Radio. Thank you, Tammy. It's great to be with you. Your story is incredible, profound, and heart-wrenching. I would love it if you could elaborate a little bit about your backstory and how this book, why this book came into being. Sure. No, I'd I'd be happy to. I uh, was born in the Himalayas, and I uh, grew up here uh, and have spent most of my life in these mountains. And uh, they've always been a place that has inspired me, uh, both through the mythology and the stories uh, that are attached to them, as well as just the profound natural beauty of these mountains. And uh, as you said, the the book itself comes out of a traumatic experience that my wife and I had in uh, uh, 2008. And when you are faced with that kind of violence when you're faced with uh, something as um, frightening and upsetting and unnerving as that, there is a sense of alienation and a certain sense of separation uh, from everything that you trusted and everything that you uh, felt that you could believe in. And so this book, in a sense, 
uh, is an effort to to come to terms with that sense of alienation and to reconnect with those mountains of my birth. And the journeys themselves take me back uh, to places that uh, some places that I'd visited before and other places that I'd never been to. And in an effort to to connect with those mountains again, to understand them and really to feel that I belonged here once again. And so the, the book traces those journeys. Uh, it's, it's very much a physical journey of walking, uh, trekking for days on end, but it's also a personal journey and a, a, an effort to find that inner landscape uh, that uh, I reconcile myself to and learn to uh, connect with again and love again. Mm. So what exactly do mountains mean to you, Stephen? The title of your book is Becoming a Mountain. What does that mean? Well, mountains for me, uh, first and foremost, are just this uh, enormous, enormously beautiful landscape where uh, you see things that are far, far bigger than yourself. You see things that are so rich and diverse in forms of life, in terms of geography, in terms of geology. Uh, just, just looking at those mountains, you realize that over millions of years, those, those, those huge rocks have been thrust up out of the Earth's crust. And those stories, those, those stories of creation, uh, for me, have always been profoundly moving and profoundly interesting. On another level, when you see that there is an entire mythology, a whole layers of narrative that have been attached to that through uh, religious traditions, uh, uh, stories that come out of the history of the people that live in those mountains, they take on just that much more meaning for you. And as as a person who has explored and wandered uh, through those mountains, searching for those stories, I think for me, uh, the the opportunity to hear those stories and then to retell them uh, gives those mountains that that secondary uh, level of meaning as well. Mm. So I'm, I'm really curious, Stephen, as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, how do you recover from this? Do you feel you've recovered? Do you think that you've reconciled the trauma? I mean, because it was pretty intense what you went through. It's, it's kind of a miracle sure. that you survived. So do you feel you've healed through that? Do you feel you've reconciled it? Have you made sense of this? Well, I don't think you ever fully reconcile yourself to uh, an experience like this. And I know that there are many people who have been through far worse experiences and have dealt with, you know, even more intense uh, trauma than than I did. And yes, I mean, five, six years later now, um, I, I would say physically I'm almost fully recovered. Uh, there are still... Um, you know, weaknesses and uh, physical uh, consequences of that attack that, that will always be with me. But I, I can walk, I can run, I can climb a mountain. Uh, there's nothing holding me back physically in that way. I think the, the psychological trauma is the harder one to deal with because you uh, carry it with you uh, forever, I think. And it doesn't, it isn't there sitting like a weight on your head every minute of the day. But there are moments where it comes back to you and you think to yourself, uh, how did I go through that and, and why am I still alive? 
Yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. And you, you ask yourself that uh, constantly. And, you know, if and then you always say, well, what if I wasn't alive? What if I had died? And, and that, too, is one of those. I mean, it's a question, of course, that you can't answer. And yet it, it, it nags at you, uh, not constantly, but from time to time. Yeah. In your book, you say that you feel it was as, as if you received a second life. Can you tell me more about that? Well, part of what I'm talking about there is that I, uh, you know, all of this happened in my own hometown, uh, in the place where I was born. And in fact, the hospital that I was taken to uh, immediately after the attack was the same hospital where I was born. So there's there's this element of, in a sense, going back uh, to, to the beginning again and then coming out of that hospital and uh, starting starting a new life. Um, I think anything like this changes you and it changes you very profoundly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, up until that time, I think I, I felt a certain level of invulnerability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt as if I could, you know, do anything I wanted to do. And I felt totally safe in these mountains because they were familiar to me. Afterwards, I was scared and I was scared to go out on my own. Um, I've trekked for days on end by myself in the past. And now there was a question, should I really be out there on my own? And I think that that, in a sense, you, you, it's not just a second life, but you get to look at the world through a totally new set of eyes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that, in a sense, it takes some getting used to. Uh, and you reconcile yourself to those fears and anxieties that you didn't have before. Now, did they ever find out who did this to you and your wife? No, no. And that's that's one of the puzzles. Um, I don't think I think, as I've said in the book, I'm not uh, set on the idea of pursuing my attackers and finding out who they were and getting justice. I mean, it's done. It's over with. And I'm not. Uh, you know, out there to hunt them down in any way, shape or form. Uh, but because they were not never found and because uh, we, we didn't have answers to some of the questions, not just who they were, but why they would attack us. There there is that level of uncertainty that, of course, right. stays with you. Right. Yeah. It seems like it would not knowing why? Yeah, well, and the other thing is, are these people that I see from time to time? <laughs> and yeah, that was, that's a big I question stand, mark. <laughs> and, and they recognize me, but I don't recognize them. And that's that's unnerving, uh, certainly. Yes, I can see where it would be. So, Stephen, what part did nature and natural history play in the journeys that you took? I think a very large part. Um, I certainly grew up. Uh, fascinated by nature. Uh, I've, I've always been interested in biology, botany, um, the, the plants, the wildlife around me. And when I, whenever I take a journey, uh, whether it's in the mountains or anywhere else, I think the thing that always catches my eye first are those parts of nature that perhaps I haven't observed before. Uh, maybe a bird I don't identify, uh, you know, the alarm call of an animal uh, that I have never heard before. And those things, I think, bring 
the the landscape to life in a way, just as those stories, those myths, and um, uh, the lore of those mountains also adds another layer. So for me, probably the first thing that I notice about any place is uh, the natural history of that place, um, the plant life, the bird life, uh, the animal life that's around me. And I think it's the thing that I find easiest to connect with. And I've, I've also said in the book that I find spirituality or that, that sense of um, the profound mystery of life in nature first and foremost. I don't find it as others do inside the walls of a temple or a church or a mosque. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it out there in the forest uh, where there is this, this profoundly complex world of creation that that you are constantly discovering, that you're constantly exploring. And uh, it it moves you at a very, very basic level. Mm. I think a lot of people would agree. I know I do. (laughs) No, and you're you're and the fact that you're part of it. I think the fact that you're part of it, I think too often uh, one of the mistakes that we make is we separate ourselves from nature. We separate ourselves from the landscape and think I'm above this or I'm beyond this. And I think that that's that's one of the great mistakes of mankind. And I think we need to be able to constantly be saying, yes, that's that's an incredible exotic bird. But I'm also incredible and exotic and I'm part of that whole mystery that's out there. I love that. I, I agree with you completely. It is a, a wondrous and mysterious place, this planet Earth. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, Stephen, after you went through this, I know you were really um, in some deep trauma. What compelled you, do you believe, to to take this track? It was it was how long were you in the mountains and, and what prompted you to do this? Because this is no joke. This is kind of a big deal. Well, I think the um, for for about a month, month and a half, I wasn't able to walk and or walk more than a step or two. And uh, as I as I grew stronger, as I was able to um, walk along the paths I'd walked since childhood, I set myself the immediate goal of just going to a, a hill called Flag Hill, which is about half an hour's walk from my home. And, you know, on a good day, it's 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 not even a trek. It's it's just an easy, comfortable walk. But following the uh, attack, it 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 really was a, a serious challenge for me. And I wasn't really sure whether I'd get to the top. But once I got to the top of Flag Hill and Flag Hill, by the way, gets its name from the Tibetan prayer flags that are tied on the summit of that hill. And from that hill, you look out upon the central Himalayas, uh, mountains that go up to 23, 24,000 feet above sea level. And as once I got myself up there and I looked out and I thought to myself, well, I need, I just need to keep going. And I want to keep going back into those mountains, uh, find, maybe not reach the tops of those mountains, but certainly approach them, uh, circumambulate them, uh, see them from different angles and perhaps try to climb as high as I can. And that, that I think was uh, the, the real motivation behind it was this sense that, okay, I've made it this far. Let me just keep going. And how long was your journey? 
The journeys, uh, there were a sequence of journeys. Uh, they weren't continuous, but they took place over the period of about four years, three and a half, four years. Mm -hmm. Each of those treks was probably two or three weeks in length. Um, uh, the, most, most of the journeys were done on foot, except when I went um, to uh, Mount Kailash in Tibet, where I had to travel by road for uh, about a week and then uh, begin the circumambulation or the, the, the Kora of uh, Kailash itself, which is uh, usually done on foot. Mm -hmm. So... So the so the answer is that it's probably altogether maybe a month and a half, two months of walking uh, spread out over a period of about three years, three and a half years. So do you have a favorite part of your book or a story about maybe somebody you encountered or something that happened that you'd like to share with us? Sure. I think that the uh, one of the things that has always interested me and it's it's there in the title is this idea of the sublime and i i take the definition of the sublime really from uh 19th century philosophers and and play with the idea of when we're in nature we see something that is on one level profoundly beautiful and then at the same time extremely terrifying and uh, unsettling, and I think that in that experience, when you, when you face something that is uh, just puts you in complete awe, and yet at the same same time, perhaps you look beneath your feet, and there's two hundred, uh, five hundred, a thousand foot drop below you, and you know that if you slip, that's the end of it. I think in that moment there is a, a an awareness, I think, of uh, what it means to be alive but also your own mortality at that point. And I guess the moment I would pick, uh, there are lots of moments like that on these journeys, but as I was trying to climb a mountain called Bandapunch, uh, the monkey's tail, which is uh, about a 21,000 foot mountain to the north of our home here in Missouri, I had never climbed that high before uh, or really attempted to summit a mountain that had snow and ice at the top. And there was this feeling of what I call emotional vertigo, which, which sort of attached itself to the physical vertigo that was there of just being on this mountain and clinging there to this slope and thinking on one level, this is, this is the silliest thing I have ever done in my life. <laughs> and yet at the same time being, uh, thinking to myself, wow, I'm, actually up here on this mountain and I'm heading towards the top. And those, those sort of moments, uh, particularly on Bandarpunch, but on many of the other treks where you're, you you're suddenly aware of your vulnerability and you give yourself over to that mountain and you think, okay, it's either up or out at this yeah. point. <laughs> and that I think is something uh, that certainly for me were the were the highlights of. I mean, I was very glad to get safely down at the end of it. Uh, but while it was happening, you really sense your own um, uh, vulnerability, uh, but also your own place in the midst of all of this massive uh, rock and ice and uh, um, 
that elevation that's there, the altitude, uh, just the, the, the thrust of those mountains going up. Yes. And so, Stephen, do you feel like this journey in Himalayas helped to heal you or how has it changed you? I think it definitely helped to heal me. I don't think healing in a, in a sort of final sense that there's, there's complete closure. But I think that uh, on a physical level, I certainly proved to myself that I could do a lot of the things that I set out to do. Um, and th that, that was important. But I think also there, there was a sense that I could now come home uh, with a sense of equanimity uh, with a sense of contentment also, because I think the discontentment that came out of the attack, the discontentment that led to those journeys uh, was was the sort of driving force. And now I'm home. Uh, each of those journeys brought me home. And there is a sense of, uh, yes, this is where I belong. And uh, there's no reason for me to be afraid. There's no reason for me to want to go elsewhere. I love hearing that. You know, my teachers would say, when you can get to equanimity, you know, a great healing has occurred. So, um, absolutely. Peace I think, is a beautiful and, thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, many people are, are, you know, in pursuit of, of something that is, is uh, you know, sometimes whatever you might call it, joy or ecstasy or uh, that kind of happiness that is, is just almost too much to, to contain. And yet for me, the, the real happiness I think that I was seeking was, was a freedom from discontentment, a freedom from sorrow, a freedom from anxiety and anger. And I think that more than anything is what came, came out of these journeys. Yes, I can see that. I hear that. That's wonderful. So now, Stephen, who would you say would receive value from your book? Who did you write this book for? Well, I would hope that it's it's something, first of all, that anyone who loves mountains, anyone who has an interest in mountains <coughs> would um, find something in the book that would inspire them to explore further. And, and whether it's the Himalayas or the Rockies or the Alps or wherever it might be, but just uh, anyone who's in pursuit of high places. Um, the other audience, uh, if you will, for the, uh, for the book, I think would be people who are also experiencing, um, the, the aftermath or the after effects of trauma and people who would, uh, look to this book, I would hope as perhaps not the path they might follow, but at least a sense of one of many paths that are open to them as in, in their search for healing and for overcoming their trauma. Yes, it does lend, I believe, hope and um, a guiding light, which I think we all need when we're in that place of um, anguish or suffering. So the, there was a recent earthquake in Nepal and there was a lot of loss of life. Were you affected by the earthquake and, and what comes forward for you as you see the images or hear the stories? Well, um, first of all, we weren't affected. In fact, uh, even though we're not far from Nepal, uh, we're <clears throat> about 
300 miles west of where the epicenter was. And interestingly enough, there was just hardly a tremor here at all. Mm-hmm. Um, though other parts of North India did, did certainly experience it. But as I look at those, those photographs and the videos that, that are coming out of Nepal, um, first of all, I mean, there's a, obviously a profound sense of sorrow and um, empathy with the, the people that are dealing with that disaster. Um, you, the houses, the, the people themselves, uh, all are people of the Himalayas and, and, and they are our neighbors. And so we feel, feel of course, that, that, that sense of grief as well. But there's also that sense of how destructive the forces of nature can be. And we, we too often, I think, forget that. And um, an event like this really brings back to us the sense of how, um, how fragile our lives are and how fragile this environment is. Uh, that we live in. Yeah, something we don't want to take for granted. Absolutely. And uh, this this is, I mean, it's a terrible reminder of that, but I think it's something that uh, I think all of us understand that the earth can move beneath our feet. Yes, yes. Life is precious and we need to remember that in the wonderful moments and, and the challenging moments. Certainly. So, Stephen, if somebody wants to get a copy of your book or connect with you, how can they do that? Well, it's uh, published in the U.S. by Arcade, and uh, your local bookseller can order it for you, or uh, it's easily available online through booksellers like Amazon or uh, Flipkart or other companies like that. So it's it's very much available uh, in that way. It's also available in uh, e-editions and even an audio edition, which I haven't listened to all the way through, but uh, certainly um, anyone uh, who's interested can get any one of those editions. Uh, probably the simplest way is online. Yes. And are you on Facebook or social media at all? Sure. Uh, I... I have my own uh, website, which is becomingamountain.com, which is dedicated to this book. And I also have stephenalter.net, which is my personal website. And both of those contain uh, information about the book and my other uh, publications, other books that I've written about India and uh, my own journeys. Yeah, you've uh, written a lot of books. You've written quite a few. Yes, I guess so. I mean, you forget about it, but then <laughs> when you add them up and see them on the shelf, uh, there, there are at least 15 of them uh, now. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, Stephen, I appreciate you so much taking some time out of your day to hang out with us and have this conversation. And to my lovely producer, Remy, I love you with my whole heart. And to my listeners, thank you for being with us. Be in touch. TammyBPhD.com. I want to hear from you. God bless you. Take care of yourselves. Life is precious. Onward and upward. Bye for now.